all the amazing people watching and listening to this. Welcome to Chizuba Talks, a podcast dedicated to sharing compelling stories of hope, determination, and humanity. Of all the rights of women, the greatest is to be a mother. A miracle is really the only way to describe motherhood and giving birth. Maternal health is crucial for healthy and productive populations. But poor socio-economic conditions, lack of well-trained healthcare professionals, or proper infrastructure are barriers to accessing medical facilities. In 2004, two Kansas City doctors returned from a medical mission trip to Haiti, realizing that the effect of their visit ended when they left. Dr. Elizabeth Wickstrom and Dr. Stan Schaeffer had a vision of providing ongoing services in rural, underserved Haitian communities where high-quality maternal and infant health care was absent. Maison de Naissance, a modern, culturally appropriate maternal center, was established in 2004 in Torbeck, Haiti. And this organization is sponsored by Global Birthing Home Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit public charity based in Leewood, Kansas. Since its establishment, Maison de Naissance has performed over 8,000 healthy deliveries and conducted more than 350,000 total consultations. Wow, I couldn't read that number. <laughs> Meet Jim Grant, Executive Director, Global Birthing Home Foundation. Welcome to the show, Jim. Good morning, and thank you very much. I'm, I'm quite happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to telling you all about our organization. Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, we've been in operation for about 18 years. I've been a part of that since 2008, and I consider myself very fortunate to, uh, to work for this organization. Prior to working for Global Birthing Home Foundation and Maison de Naissance, I spent 20 years in IT, mm -hmm. and I realized at some point that I had become disillusioned with my career because I felt that I was working constantly and, and making a decent income, but without any really socially redeeming qualities <laughs> attached to any of the efforts I was putting into that. And so I, I had a chat with my boss at Cisco Systems and I just asked him point blank, is there anything at all that we do here that's just for the betterment of mankind? Or are we just here to make money for ourselves and the company? And he said, maybe this isn't right for you anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided it was time to make a change. And this is where I ended up working in nonprofit. And it's the best job I've ever had. Wow. Well, that is something. That's a story. And you've been working in the IT industry for how long? I had been in IT for 20 years. 20 years. Um, yeah, and had moved up from being a, a, a lowly uh, code writer to being in a upper management position. I had uh, a directorship with the territory that included the entire North Central U.S. and Canada. And it, it just didn't really have anything for, that was for me personally rewarding about the work at that point. I realized mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. just just working really um, as a, a cog in the corporate machine to make money. And uh, that wasn't okay. satisfying. You know what, Jim? I, uh, have you heard of Chizuba earlier? 
No, actually, I was so glad to hear from you and to be presented with this opportunity. Right. So Chizuba does exactly that, as in um, to all the people who feel they want to give back to society, Chizuba provides a platform to volunteer online to any nonprofit of their choice. And that's how we have multiple nonprofits, you know, catering to every kind of uh, social uh, need. So yours is global birthing. We have people who are taking care of animals. We are people who are taking care of the homeless and everybody who's working in the IT industry or any corporate sector and feels like doing something parallelly along with their work, Chizuba provides this opportunity. Well, I'm so glad you found me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonderful talking to you. Well, uh, let's uh, get on to talking about your organization. What is the mission and how does it support home birthing? Our mission is to significantly reduce maternal and infant mortality rates in, as of now in rural Haitian communities. We hope at some point to expand beyond Haiti, which is why our primary foundation has the rather ambitious name of Global Birthing Home mm -hmm. Foundation. Mm -hmm. We want to use this as a template to open birth centers in other places. Um, as it turns out, though, the need in Haiti has been so great. Uh, as we've continued to expand our reach in the region where the birth center was initially founded, we've discovered mm -hmm. that we could operate in Haiti for probably several decades before True. we really could, you know, say, okay, we're meeting the need in general, at least in Haiti, and now we can go somewhere else. So we, mm -hmm. we're, we're staying in Haiti for now just because the need is so great. Where we operate now, there did not used to be any access to professional maternal and infant health care services. Um, so a very rural area. Most of the people live by subsistence farming. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes they don't really have any real cash income, so they couldn't even afford a, a motorcycle taxi to go into the nearest city for health care unless it's an absolute emergency. And the state of the national health care system, unfortunately, in Haiti is is not very good. Um, as an example I, that I'll give you, this this is why the birth center was actually established where it is. One of the founders was doing a tour of the national health facilities around the country with a group of nurses and medical students. It's Dr. Stan okay. Schaefer. Mm -hmm. And when they arrived in the town of Lakai, which is the closest to where we operate, okay. they were just preparing to enter this hospital when a woman whose baby had just crowned, she had been in the, the labor room laboring, but as soon as the baby started to crown, they were throwing her out because her family had not come back to pay the delivery fee. And the doctor oh wasn't going to catch that baby if he hadn't been paid. And oh, so that's... his team delivered that baby within the next five minutes in the parking lot in front of the hospital. And that's when he knew this is where we need to be. This was a woman who didn't live in town. She lived out in the countryside, which is mm -hmm. what took them, um, out to Torbeck. Uh, and, and, and so they established the facility there. Wow. I mean, uh, that story would have shaken anybody. I mean, imagine the lady and the plight of the the baby as well. Well, right. um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
your organization global birth home uh, birthing home foundation is providing safe and efficient home birthing or is it uh, that they have to come to your institute yeah actually um we do support home births but it's not preferred uh the the issue is that traditional birth attendants in Haiti don't normally have any sort of formal training. Oftentimes they don't have a good understanding of hygiene and sanitation. Um, it's quite common uh, if a mom is bleeding after delivery that they use something, you know, like dried grass to staunch oh, the bleeding and because they don't mm -hmm. have access to medical supplies. They don't have gauze. They don't have, you know, sterilized uh, instruments mm. or even latex gloves. And mm -hmm. so the the post uh, delivery infection rate for home deliveries in Haiti is quite high. Mm -hmm. And because we work in a rural area, the population density in general is low, but we cover the region with roughly 76,000 inhabitants altogether. Okay. Um, and so it's quite spread out. And it, it really wouldn't be um, logistically possible for us to have trained birth attendants available to attend all of these far-flung villages and individual uh, subsistence farms. So we do generally expect them to come to the center. And for that purpose, though, uh, we have an, an ambulance which can go out on call and pick a woman up and, and bring her to the center if she doesn't have transportation. And we have an, an incoming phone. I mean, it's dedicated only to incoming calls so that in an emergency, if somebody calls that number, and believe me, everyone in Haiti does have a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. That's the one I, thing. I mean, who do doesn't know? <laughs> they do have. And so they can call that number and we'll immediately dispatch mm -hmm. someone to go and pick up the mother to bring her in if there's okay. a problem. Um, now, we encourage moms to come in in any case to deliver their babies. Mm -hmm. And that starts from the very first time they come in for an appointment, whether they're coming in for family planning, um, for some sort of other, you know, uh, reproductive health issue. If a woman has an infection that needs to be treated right away, they're told, okay, if you do become pregnant, you should come here and let us take care of you. And we recommend that they come in for at least five prenatal care sessions and throughout that whole process. The mother is encouraged, please come in to deliver your baby because if something goes wrong, we can manage those difficulties. Um, Great. The sad fact is that even today, as long as we've operated in that area, it's such a traditional such a, and such a strong tradition for women to deliver at home with their mother yeah, and family uh, present uh, that they, uh, they don't like to go so. to the hospital. <laughs> Right. I would think so. In fact, I was just coming to that. Uh, there must be some culturally or traditionally, uh, you know, safe practices that they follow uh, from a long time. And then with you being there, uh, how are you received? Actually, well, um, we have a community um, health promotion group and they go out into the, the, the region around there on sort of a round robin basis. We have seven people in that group and they each have their own territory. And mm -hmm. as they work their way through their territory over the course of, say, a month or a month and a half, they then go back to the start and go through again. 
And anytime that they get word of a woman who has recently discovered that she's pregnant, they go immediately to that house to talk to the woman and advise her about things that need to be done to make sure that she has a safe birth and that her baby is you know, born healthy. And mm -hmm. the other thing that we do is we encourage them to come in so that we can prescribe things like prenatal vitamins or many treat any issue that they might have up front. If they have any sort of infection that's treated, we help provide them with uh, food supplements to make sure that they stay healthy during their pregnancy and afterwards. It's a what we like to think of as a very complete uh, suite of services that we offer to ensure that the mother and her baby will be healthy. That, that's wonderful. So pre and post delivery as well. So you're right. catering to kind of every kind of service. So when you're talking about uh, these services, uh, you have a staff uh, that is trained. We do. We have a actually, and we have a 100% Haitian staff, which we think is very important to ensure that everything that is done is culturally appropriate. Um, from the director all the way down to the the house cleaners and, and uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. laundry women, you know, they're all Haitian. They're all hired from the local community as can be, but we don't have any doctors. What we mm -hmm. have are midwives. Midwives, so yeah. Certified mm -hmm. midwives, right. We have six midwives. We have eight nurses. Um, the nurses are often trained in some particular specialty, such as uh, testing and treatment of STDs or family planning services mm -hmm. uh, or just general reproductive health. And so yeah. um, that does two things. It, it keeps our, our operating costs lower than they would be if we had doctors in a surgical facility. But the other thing that it does is it ensures that when a woman comes in to receive treatment, it's not a cold medical atmosphere. Mm. It's, we operated intentionally to be like a home. And in fact, when the building was purchased, it had previously just been a general medical clinic. And we mm. put a new facade on the front with what they call a, a false front. On the, it looks like it has a roof, a peaked roof instead of a flat roof, because the flat roof okay. means it's institutional care, which Haitians, <laughs> rural Haitians anyway, don't trust. And so the, it's not just the building, though. I mean, that appearance helps, but... That's just a matter, a way of conveying that we want them to feel like they're at Correct. home. And that's why we call it a home of birth, too. So right. they come in and they're, they're welcomed and they're treated with respect. Um, they don't need to be afraid to come in. They don't need to fear somebody who's going to be rough with them or, or barking orders at them. It's, it's all done and that in, in a very warm and, and welcoming environment. True, true. Sometimes the smell of uh, a particular hospital can also be uh, off-putting. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know how that feels. Well, um, so do you also have partner organizations that help you or support you in your efforts? We do, actually. We have a number of partner organizations. We belong to uh, a network of birthing centers in Haiti. There are probably somewhere between 10 and a dozen um, spread around the country. And I don't have an exact number because unfortunately some of them have not survived the last few years between mm -hmm, mm -hmm. COVID and all of the unrest that Haiti's been experiencing. Yeah, a few of them have had to close their doors. But 
we have an active partnership with other uh, birthing centers in Haiti. We have monthly meetings online and discuss, um, you know, just what, what issues we're facing, what's going on in the country, how we can help each other logistically. Um, we tend to share access to resources, whether those are uh, sources of medical supplies and sometimes mm. funding. If we just, one of us finds an organization that funds specifically what we do mm -hmm. um, and we're successful in, in receiving support from them, then we pass the word around and let other people know so that oh, they wonderful. have access to the same opportunities. And it's incredibly That's beneficial. Um, right, this, it's mutually beneficial. Yes, it is. And, and, and that type of partnership is what has helped us get through the last two biggest natural disasters in Haiti. One was uh, Hurricane Matthew 2016, yes. and then the earthquake just last year in 2021. Absolutely, yes, yes. And also the political unrest that happened, uh, I think that was oh, 2019. Yes. That must have been a terrible time. It, it was, in fact, it was a terrible time. And then, and well, in 2019, and then again in 2021, when the president was assassinated, and now with the rise of gangs in Port-au-Prince, the capital city, um, who now control, they estimate, somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the city geographically. Um, oh. And the gangs have a chokehold on commerce so that very little commerce now flows by road from Port-au-Prince to the outlying regions. Most of the supplies that we get, we have to fly in uh, through a charter air freight service. Oh, does that increase costs for you? Oh, it does. Oh, yes, it does increase costs. Uh, but, you know, we have a very strong donor base and mm -hmm. we have good relationships with um, some organizations like uh, there's one called uh, Direct Relief based in California that does global relief work. Um, but they have helped us several times with emergency relief funds. And they consider the situation that we're operating in now um, a relief emergency because it's so difficult for us to obtain supplies you know, through normal supply channels. And so mm -hmm. they're helping us with that too. I would imagine uh, because you are a medical facility, uh, there would be people because of the situation in the country, uh, there would be people coming with other kind of ailments uh, requiring medical attention. Do you also help out with those? Well, we can only help really to the point that something might be a life-threatening emergency. Otherwise, what we do is we will take them to the hospital um, to make sure that they can get care. But right. we're just not equipped to manage um, other, you know, health issues or health emergencies in-house. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But that could be a challenge, because, right? Sorry? Sorry, that could be a challenge, right? Because uh, oh, there would be people... It is a challenge. <laughs> Most of the people who in our area understand, though, the difference between what we're doing and, and any sort of general health care issue. But they do come to us in times of emergency, um, hmm. especially if when there's been a natural disaster. I mean, after the earthquake last year, mm -hmm. quite a few people showed up needing immediate care for severe wounds. And so our hmm. staff will essentially, you know, conduct triage and do stabilization, but then they have to move them somewhere else because the flow of patients that we're specifically addressing, you know, can't be interrupted. 
When, mm-hmm. when a mom shows up and she needs to deliver a baby, that baby won't wait. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So, um, Jim, tell me, uh, how can anybody help? What kind of help do you need at the moment? I would say, I mean, what every organization like ours needs is is funding for operations, operational expenses. Um, but that's a very common need for organizations like ours. I mean, everyone needs funding. And actually, we, we are fortunate that right now we're fa- fairly stable. I think what we need as much as anything else at the moment are two other things. One would be advocacy. Mm-hmm. We need help. And I don't know how others could achieve this other than with, I guess, just their voices, but we need help convincing the international community that Haiti needs help as a country. Um, One of the things that is looming over Haiti is that the United Nations and the U.S. and Canada and other countries are considering a military intervention. And although that would probably help to resolve the gang issue in the short term, it's not really what Haitians want because they have a history of being invaded and occupied by forces that really are there on their own agenda, not simply there to help Haiti. Um, and so the Haitian people themselves, in spite of the misery that they often are facing today because of the, the, the gang control of the capital city, they really don't want this intervention to happen unless it's on their terms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, like, I and my colleagues and friends that I have have engaged in letter writing campaigns to our representatives in the government saying, you know, please consider doing this only in cooperation with Haiti. Don't just go in with your own agenda. We don't say that specifically, but it's what we imply that we don't want them to go in with their own agenda to, um, stabilize the country, but not really help make a change that will allow Haiti to remain stable. And that really is the key. And that can only be done if they're doing it in cooperation with Haiti. The Haitians have to feel like, okay, you're helping us build up our systems to the point that we can be self-sustaining, as opposed to just coming in and fighting the gangs, which would be incredibly disruptive too in in its own and in in the past has resulted in a lot of civilian deaths too. Mm -hmm. But then if they say, okay, it's peaceful now and then they pull out, Haiti is left with this, you know, aftermath of warfare and this has happened before and then they just have to deal with it. Mm. So So basically funding and advocacy is what you're looking at. Yes, absolutely. And resources Is any... if other people know of, I'm sorry, if other people know of um, organizations that specialize in donation of medical supplies and equipment, those are important things too. There, there I have no doubt there are other um, yes, there are multiple organizations agencies. that we that we don't know about. Absolutely. So. Let's get the word out there. People who can help out with resources, medical supplies, everything is welcome at Global Home Birthing Foundation. Um, so is there any story that you remember in your 18 years 
of work with this organization that is particularly touching, that is memorable? Yes. Um, well, there are several, but one in particular is that a young woman came in and said that she believed she was pregnant. Um, she wasn't certain, and so she she wanted to know if you know she could have a pregnancy test, and so um, they conducted the test, and yes, she was pregnant. She was very upset because she was she was quite young. I think she was fifteen or sixteen, oh, okay. um, and wasn't ready to be a mother, and so. We stepped in. I, I guess I should back up a step. Her background was that she came from a family where the, the, the mother had passed away. And she had a, a number of siblings that she had been caring for. And so she, when she came to us, she was really fearful because she thought, if I am going to be pregnant and have another baby, mm. how am I going to take care of my siblings? And who's going to you know, care for my family? And her first thought when she found out that she was pregnant was that she should terminate it. And that is not something that we support. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't look like it would be a life-threatening situation. Mm -hmm. And so she was coached by the staff on how they could care for her and how we could help them. And we arranged for food to be delivered to the family. We had uh, some of our community health promoters going out to visit to ensure that people were well, that they had access to clean water, they had enough to eat. And you mean to say you took care of the entire family? Um, yes. <laughs> wow, okay, not only the the pregnant girl, okay. Right, yes. But, you know, they, they had some resources, but they weren't sufficient. So we were really just supplementing what they had mm -hmm. um, and, and keeping an eye on them, making sure that, that they that always have clean do. water and food to eat. But our staff actually became sort of collectively surrogate mothers for this young woman. <laughs> she, she delivered a healthy girl and was very happy. And at that point, she then was confident that she wouldn't be doing all of this on her own. She, she mm -hmm. had her own little built-in support group. Support group. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it, it all worked out well in the end. And she raised a healthy girl and... I think most importantly, she was instructed on the benefits and availability of family planning so that she could control this in the future, which is something that she was completely unfamiliar with and her mother had been unfamiliar with, which is actually she had died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most Haitian women don't have access to or don't understand the idea of having excuse me, opportunities to, to contraceptives. Mm -hmm. And this changes their lives. This And this young girl in particular, she felt empowered by this because she knew that she could control when she would get pregnant again and it wouldn't happen until she was ready for it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you are doing such great work getting women to understand their bodies, getting people, uh, the society to understand the situation. You know, creating a healthy population is not only uh, something that happens by chance. Some people have to work towards it to make that happen. And I'm so glad your foundation is doing that. Well, it, 
we we do what we can. I mean, we obviously the what we can do is is limited. That's always the case. Um, but the the most important thing that we do is we listen to the people that that we consider mm. to be our, in our patient community. Mm. When they come to us with a problem, uh, with a complaint about something that happened during their care, we we listen and we pay attention mm. because we want them to feel comfortable with us. They, we, we want them to consider the center as just a part of their community, just as they would a place of worship. Right. And uh, what are your future plans in the next three to five years? You, you said you wanted to look at other areas also. Of course, Haiti is keeping you busy, but do you have other areas that you want to work in? We do. Um, I don't see us filling the need in Haiti, though, for some time, I, I would say a decade or more. And that would be okay. if everything worked out perfectly well <laughs> with no issues along the way. Which well, is good luck with that. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. That's super. But in three to five years, we, we do hope in, to uh, open um, a new birth center, probably somewhere in the same general region. Um, and I would say most likely just far enough away that it's going to be more convenient for patients to go to the new center than to come to ours, but close enough that there's a little bit of overlap. So that if there's an issue at the new center and they need help, you know, they could access some of our staff or they could bring True. someone to our building. True. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure that will happen soon. And uh, with all the blessings and the good wishes of all the women that you've Im impacted, uh, I'm sure all those will come to some kind of uh, good luck in getting you to start that. Thank you so much, Jim, for talking to us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That was Jim Grant, Executive Director of Global Birth Home Foundation, talking to us about how their nonprofit is ensuring that every woman who steps into the marvelous adventure of motherhood has a safe and healthy process. Thank you very much for joining and listening to this. See you all in yet another episode where I get to meet incredible people doing amazing work. Till then, goodbye.